WFAE's David Borex has the story. Tariq Bakari and Larkin Eggleston call their podcast R&D in the QC. Eggleston says they hope to reach people who may not pay attention to the council. Eggleston is 35 and a Democrat. Bakari is a 37-year-old Republican. Despite their political differences, they bonded on the campaign trail in part over their beards, says Bakari. The beards themselves are what truly united us in the beginning. They hope to be an example of how to debate productively across the political divide. Tonight, we talk about e-scooters, neighborhood traffic calming, rezonings, and one of our council colleagues crashes the party. Monday, 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 and that can only mean one thing, ladies and gentlemen. R&D in the QC is live recorded for you. Episode 34, coming at ya. With me, as always, my faithful sidekick, Larkin Nicholson. Larkin, welcome to the show. Bring us in. I will never be your sidekick. (laughs) You're right. You're not that faithful. All right. So what do we got, buddy? Uh, Well, it's been two weeks because, as people probably know, our council meeting last Monday was canceled due to uh, the ongoing issues with Hurricane Florence. Uh, So we are glad to be back with you tonight. We took last week's week's meeting and smushed it into this week's meeting, and it was a doozy, and we're still not done. We've got to uh, now smush the rest of tonight's meeting into next week's meeting. So this is a now never-ending cycle of meetings we can't catch up with. Thanks to everyone for reaching out. Hundreds of you told us how you used our tips in last week's episode uh, from a hurricane preparedness uh, perspective. Obviously, very important. Literally no one reached out to tell us they had used any of I'm our I'm pretty tips. sure no one did. On the window right now, uh, this is the problem with having a window-based office here. Braxton Winston uh, d- trying to make us laugh, not working, not working at all. Because like my sidekick Tarek, he's not funny. He's not. He's uh, not. So there was a lot that's happened in the last two weeks, but I will dive right into one of the committee meetings we had today because I think there was some important stuff we covered that we haven't- you do tell, Larkin. We haven't really covered before. And so I think that uh, folks will want to know, we have talked a lot about neighborhood traffic calming measures. And so some of the stuff we talked about today in the committee meeting was uh, steps that we're going to take towards lowering residential street speed limits, um, making it easier for people to petition for or seek four-way stops and speed bumps on their residential neighborhood streets. Um, And those are some of the complaints and some of the things we get asked for a lot. So we will be, assuming the council passes this, which I feel confident we will in October and November, we will be proactively uh, lowering the speed limit on a lot of residential streets from 35 to 25 as the posted speed limit. So I think, you know, we talk about vision zero. There's a lot of things and a lot of the decisions we make that can help towards that end. I think this will be a big one for trying to lower the possibility of pedestrian uh deaths or just deaths in general on our our streets we also talked about scooters a bit in there did we not yeah but i don't think we really covered much that hadn't been covered or i mean we started to talk about that there's how much regulation are we interested in having or not 
um, we got into some of the particulars about what that might look like, but I think that's a lot of stuff we'd covered already. Well, listen, special guest Braxton Winston has ducked into our office. What is it, my friend? He's over. You've been overhearing us. What? 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 What do you have to say, my friend? There, there actually was some relatively big news um, in, in regards to scooters, and it was about a blog post. Um, it doesn't seem like a blog post would be that um, important, but it's, the, the blog post was by the body of the, how do you describe it? The North, University of North Carolina School of Government, um, which has a lot of influence over policy and interpretations of the law and such. But, so over the weekend, over the past four days, uh, from when you would initially be listening to this podcast, they did define electric scooters as motor vehicles that they say should be registered and licensed and tagged. Um, so it's un, it's unknown what that impact will be, but because this body has made a judgment, um, this will be how presumably how many municipalities around North Carolina will interpret uh, what a, what an e-scooter is and how they will rele- regulate that in a municipality. So it was kind of big news, but inconclusive news. Um, but over the next couple of days, weeks, and months, you will probably see municipalities around our state uh, taking really distinct stances on regulating e-scooters. And that was special reporter on scene, Braxton Winston, stopping by with the news update. Clearly didn't get enough uh, talking during the meeting tonight in between stories of fire trucks running through fences and many other things. But thanks for uh, dropping by, Braxton, with that news update. I will clarify one point there. Uh, The School of Government uh, said that in a blog post, which uh, city attorney Bob Hageman kind of walked us through. But uh, the one big point there is it was an opinion. It was their opinion. And clearly one, um, it hasn't been, uh, you know, adjudicated in a, in a court of law. And two, uh, just like was done with segues years back. um, What ultimately is going to happen here is, is our, our state legislature is going to jump in and rule on on exactly you know what how they're going to view them and, and what treatment they're going to give them. Here's here's a little bit of a odd question for you. What is it about Segways you think that they didn't catch on? Was it the cost? I mean, it wasn't a shared model, but back when Segways first started to come out, you'd see a handful of people around Charlotte riding them. They had to purchase them, and I think they were quite expensive maybe at the time, but. What what is it that you think maybe that didn't catch on, but the scooters have been uh, so the, hot? The nerdiness of them, perhaps. Yeah, the I weirdness. Mean, they are peculiar. But so one of the things that we saw today that is pretty pretty hard to wrap your head around is that in the month of August there were over one hundred and forty thousand rides on the what eight hundred e scooters that we have in our city. Um, so that's that's pretty incredible. Well, it's strong, and you know why it's strong is because. And this is where I wanted to go in today's meeting, but uh, I guess it wasn't the mandate of that committee, was right now in that month, they're they're averaging six rides per scooter on average per day during that month. Uh, It it, it is the kind of assumed factor in the scooter biz that if you're getting three rides a day on average per scooter you have out in the street, you you are you have you have made a profit essentially as a company. So whenever they roll out a number of scooters, they look at profit viability and other things as is it getting at least three rides a day. So six rides a day is double that. I mean the math shows it's double that, Larkin. Yes, yeah, six is twice three. Exactly. Again, 
well done, Tarek, on the math. You know, the math is kind of my thing. That's why I keep you around. Yeah. Um, Faithful sidekick. And I don't know if we've touched on this. Uh, I don't remember whether we mentioned this on the show or not, but um, you chastised me for making my dire prediction of death on a scooter. And, no Stradamus uh, Eggleston. It, it thankfully hasn't happened in our community, but it has happened in Texas now. And so, you know, I do think that uh, both you and Braxton made points around needing to let the free market operate in terms of how many scooters are viable. Um, but I do think that we have got to put a few, few kind of guardrails on as it relates to being on riding on sidewalks right in the central business district as it relates to not being on streets that are 45 55 65 miles an hour uh i think there's a couple of things in place that 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 need to be in place um that are just common sense measures that don't overdo over uh burden the free market i've got questions about i've got questions about that i mean like you said nobody has died yet perhaps somebody will um but it seems like right now walking down the street is, might be more dangerous uh, than riding a scooter. Particularly because uh, you're going to get hit by a scooter. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I think more pedestrians. That's why know. walking's so dangerous right now because there's quiet scooters <laughs> buzzing up behind you. Touche. 15 miles an hour on the sidewalk. Touche. But no, no, I mean. Head on a swivel, man. <laughs> <laughs> you, or start walking real Touché, fast. I have not heard of, of any, 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 any scooters getting into a, a vehicular crashes in, on streets um, like pedestrians do. So do we need to re- re- regulate it right now, you know, ahead of time? Because it sounds like in, if we should do that, we should regulate walking. Well, if Braxton, I mean, you're, you look fast compared to Tark and I at least, but if you were walking 15 miles an hour on sidewalks in Center City, I'd put regulations well, on you da- too. We're talking about danger, though. We're, we're talking about danger. We do need to make sure that we, we I think, it's in, like I said today in, in the, in the um, meeting, committee meeting, that really I think that's more of an infrastructure issue rather than making rules about where people can ride scooters. So that's, I, I agree with you there 100%, which is that, we need to be continuing to build our bicycle infrastructure that can be shared with things like electric scooters. However, just because there exists a better long-term solution in creating more bike lanes and more bike infrastructure that scooters can use doesn't mean that we can just ignore what needs to be a short-term solution around some of the safety I issues. Because, I mean, you, this came about when you cited uh, on, on social media that you saw somebody riding a scooter on 277. Now, I think I don't think you need something specific to say that's dangerous, that's idiotic, and uh, that that is probably illegal because you need to drive cars on 277 on interstates. Uh, so why would we regulate? Well, because if you don't, if you don't that. explicitly state what is and isn't permissible, then people have cover to say, "Well, you didn't say I couldn't ride it on two seventy seven, and so maybe that's a matter of survival of the fittest." But we don't, uh, we don't, we don't <laughs> do. I don't, I don't. Do we? Do we? Ha- do we have rules that are saying that we can't pour vodka o- over a crowd of people? Like that's, that's that seems that, relevant right now. But I mean, that's assault. I mean, I that's that's assault. You don't have to say specifically. You can't throw a bottle of vodka over people or something like that. That's just very specific. It is I very have specific. no idea how that was what you came I, up with. I am for this, and I got to tell you. The vodka or the scooters? The, the, the vodka. If there's an ordinance that says we can't do that, I want to see it, and I want to replace it. Braxton, I'm going to need you to go think of a better analogy and come <laughs> well, back I, later. I, I just thought about a ridiculous analogy. Yes, you, know? yes, you it's, did. It's ridiculous. But ri- so is riding a scooter on 277. It's completely yes. ridiculous. We should, we should preface with it's been a long day. So, no, uh, I mean – 
Yes. There are people that get, go out outside and do ridiculous things, and they're illegal because they're illegal, like endangering, you know, uh, endangering the life or, or well-being of other people without specifically saying you can't do this with this piece of thing, you know? I mean, that's all I'm saying. I, so we have to be careful about regulating something uh, just because. And uh, I got to tell you, I, I, I totally agree with my free market colleague here. Who is uh, who is explaining many of the things I've tried to debate you on, Larkin? Um, well, that would explain why he did go and change his registration to Republican today. <laughs> <laughs> is that true? That is a lie. With an a, 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 I, I'm trying to be very PG here. So it sa- so it sounds like it could be true. We're not sure. We'll figure it out later, uh, Mr. Winston. <laughs> there's there's no real way to know. Whether or not Braxton has changed his. There's absolutely a, a real way to know. So I guess that begs another question, Larkin. At what point in time did you become the anti-scooter guy? Like I don't, I don't understand. Like, did this just naturally happen? You are everything bike lane and scooters. What has happened in the last? You just embraced this kind of crazy Nostradamus thing that you've said, and you've become the anti-scooter guy. And Republicans, you've Ooh. embraced Republicans. Yeah, you have. Why do you love us so much? I, I well, you in particular, I don't. Uh, uh, Sidekicks always feel that way many, about their. And many of your colleagues the same, but. Uh, no, I love the scooters. I, I mean, all, all three of us have ridden them frequently, and I think mm-hmm. they're a great option. I'm glad they're here. I hope they stay. But again, I don't think that they're. It, I don't think it does any disservice to that as a mobility option for us to have common sense rules like not riding on 277 or not buzzing around the sidewalk at Trade and Tryon. I think those are very simple things we can put in place that don't in any way curb people's enthusiasm or ability to use that as a, a transportation method. So, so. look, here, here's the, to cap off this one. I think we discussed this one longer than we probably intended to. One, one reason of which, if you're wondering why we didn't announce special guest Braxton Winston on the program, because he wasn't invited. That's because he just came in the office and joined the, joined the episode, which we appreciate Mr. Winston, of course. Thank you, sir. And if the door's locked next time, it won't have anything to do with that. <laughs> But here's my cap off for that. Any, any final words from you before I cap it off? a little anniversary here. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, that's true. All right, man, you said it. No. Go ahead. Why don't you? Why can you give us the 30 second version of of because it is important and and we do since you've now crashed the episode. This is the thing that that you indeed should be talking about. So get, give us your your uh, your plug for what you're thinking about right now. It's not really a plug. I think it's something that uh, many of us think about right around uh, September 20th of any year going forward. But it is the two year anniversary of the death of Keith Lamont Scott and a week that really probably was the most important week uh, when we look back on it in the history of of Charlotte and where we go um, from there. Um, It's it's always a tough week for me. It's my first um, anniversary of this in this position and it's been uh, it's honestly it has been a bit wild it's an emotional day for me um because uh, as we're recording this two years ago i was out in these streets um really trying to figure out how do we disrupt these uh systems that lead up to a situation like that and um we're still trying to disrupt it uh just in a, in a different fashion so um you know, I still stand by where I'm at. I don't think Keith Lamont Scott should be dead right now. Um, and we haven't done enough uh, to prevent another occurrence like this from happening. So um, that's why I'm here on this job primarily, uh, wh- how I got here. And uh, we're going to continue to figure out how to get this thing right. Good. Well, listen, it, it's been, you know, you and I don't always agree on every topic. 
But uh, one thing I can I can absolutely say is that over the last you know what has been ten months or so that we've been on the job here, give or take, um, you know we you, you have been uh, uh, a good partner and and surprising to me on some fronts how much you you try to balance uh, both police accountability and police support. We got a lot of work left to do. I agree with you. We're we're not we we haven't learned all of our lessons and we're not completely prepared. Uh, but um, you know. Uh, as many points as we disagree on, we found many surprising ones that we do agree on and uh, appreciate this is a special uh, anniversary for, for you and all those that uh, participated in, in, in that uh, in that time frame. So to the meat of tonight's meeting, uh, we, we did have what would have been last week's business meeting, though there wasn't anything too um, too heavy in that, but then went into a rezoning meeting where we had several controversial rezoning votes that we had to take um some of which or mo i guess all of which were from hearings that we had held back in july because we didn't have a rezoning meeting in august and so we were looking at stuff that was two months old and so it had been a while since since we usually don't have that much distance in between the hearing and the vote so that was a little different just process wise but then we also had a couple of really controversial hearings tonight which went i think in the case of the first two probably combined for over an hour and a half worth of discussion so that's why the meeting we weren't able to finish tonight and we'll go into next monday but um you and i each had one particularly controversial one in our respective districts one of them you and i i shared a bit because it was kind of right on the border of our districts yeah and in both Reese, cases Reese road yeah and then my my other one was circle on crescent uh, near Providence. Were you surprised by the number of people supporting Circa there? Were you expecting no, that? Uh, well, no, I wasn't expecting that sort of a coordinated effort. Um, there were probably 30 folks there in a coordinated effort to show support. I mean, I had received what I perceived to Life's be <laughs> as a, a joke that, well, they were Caucasian, but also wearing white. Uh, it was interesting. I leaned over to Justin. I don't know if Justin's old enough to have gotten this reference. You two will appreciate it. Um, I, I leaned over and I said, I feel like I'm at a taping for an episode of Legends of the Hidden Temple. There was like a pocket of people wearing yellow shirts, a pocket of people wearing blue shirts. Yeah, you remember like the the, the silver snakes and the the red monkeys and the purple pandas and whatever else. You never watched Legends of the Hidden Temple? Uh, I'm sorry, I grew up in the very in lower the class without a lot of cable and things like that. A that lot you of rich cable. People you don't have cable. You don't. You we don't had a, a fuzzy, a fuzzy TV with an antenna that I could halfway get PBS on. They also had white flags. They, which they, I don't know if that was a surrender tactic or what. Um, so no, I, I felt like I had heard from, well, I had heard from more people who were supportive of this than not. Now there were, there was undoubtedly a. a sizable contingent of people who were against it as was the case with reese road i think you and i in both cases perceived that the support outweighed the dissent but there was undoubtedly big factions of both but I, what i was pleased with was that in both instances even just in the last four days we were able to get concessions and i i always tend to think that the, our goal in this should be no one should get a hundred percent of what they wanted the developer should have to give a little more than they wanted to give the neighbors who are, are against it, if we have a big contingent for it, should probably have to to meet in the middle, maybe more than they had hoped. Uh, you know, if nobody's completely happy, then we probably did our job and found the right middle ground. I'll tell you uh, the one thing, and and I, I don't think I've ever in 
34 episodes uh, made a specific comment like this, but um, I was a bit frustrated uh, after the Reese Road one. You and I, I mean, I, I've been at this one since February. You, it's very, it's next door to your your district, and you've been at it working hard too. And while we knew it wasn't perfect, and, and specifically the NS, the neighborhood services zoning, a lot of some of the community members were upset about not not all of them, but a, a, a fair chunk. Um, we worked really hard not to drop this at the doorstep of the developer and solve something that's our problem on the city side, which is a proper zoning classification for townhomes for sale, um, which doesn't exist in, in our current in our current taxonomy, a word you love dearly. Um, but we worked really hard with them negotiating up into the last minute concessions like extra visitor parking spaces, uh, uh, different things of that Quite nature. literally so up to the last minute that we had to scramble and like and delay the vote because worried. exactly because i mean it was they, at the last they had to put second stuff in and it was the, in la- the middle and, of the meeting and we didn't have to do that on behalf of the neighbors because we already knew we had probably the votes we needed to do it we did we it because it was vote, the right not thing that it to do swayed the not that it would have swayed yeah. the thing but but um, we were working hard for those folks no matter what because that's our job but we all I, I i'll speak for myself i believed it was the right thing to do based on where we were and, and the problems that existed that were on our plate. And Mayor Pro Tem Julie Iselt afterwards came up and said some things that, to be honest, you know, I, I knew she felt that way. I explained to her and brought staff up for a very specific reason, which was, you know, is this going to set a precedent or not while we, while we solve our own internal problems? They said, no, it's not. And then afterwards, she, she took the opportunity, in my opinion, to soapbox a little bit in front of a, a crowd that she knew that would resonate with. And while, yeah, they, they, they hear something and they applaud, I mean, it rubbed me the wrong way because, you know, I, you can drop in and talk to some neighbors at the site and say a few things and then soapbox for what they want to hear. But to run around and actually try to negotiate concessions and do all the, all the actual work that we did, you know, uh, I'm sorry, that, that's just not cool. That, that is not, it's not okay. If you want to have a, take a stand on precedent and your own vi- vision and say it, do it. But, you know, don't stand on the backs of those of us who have been working hard to do the right thing to soapbox in front of a group of people who, to be honest, you know, just made, just made our efforts look diminished. Well, a, a couple things I'll push back on a little there because I, first of all, that crowd, there actually wasn't a big contingent of a Reese Road crowd tonight, which I, I thought maybe there no, would be it was more the than other folks. It was it was it was it was the Noda folks who yeah. we'll talk about in a minute. That was one of the hearings who they felt like. So I actually was a little caught off guard, and I don't think she was necessarily expecting that 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 would resonate with them. The Reese Road folks for or against was very small turnout, which I was a little surprised. Uh, though most of the people over there are a little bit older, I wasn't maybe, surprised. Maybe less inclined to come I mean, out. That, that's the, those are the the three or four people that have been really yeah, passionately against it I yeah mean, I, well i knew they'd be there i just thought maybe there'd be be some others but um but i do think too all of us have taken at some point or another the opportunity to use something as a case study to make a larger point and i think that's what she was trying to do I, again i ended up voting for it she was the only dissenting vote i was willing to vote for it because of the concessions that were made at the last minute i would always especially when i knew my vote's not going to change the outcome of a vote i'd always want to leverage my vote to get something more for the people who still have issues with a petition in this case we were able to do that uh, a couple of people were on the fence though it was going to pass even if all the fence people had gone no 
So it's like, all right, well, how much do you want it to be kind of an overwhelming support? If so, give us a little bit more. And in this case, the developer and the petitioner were willing to do that. Yeah, all, all I'm saying is, and that's a fair point. Look, may, maybe I was overly harsh in that, in that critique, but all I'm saying is if you say to me beforehand, look, I, I think it's a good deal. I think it's a good project on its own merits. I just have these broader concerns. I don't want to tank the deal. I just kind of want to make a point and take a stand with my vote. Well, which is don't why, go further in soapbox in front of the people who are angry that it didn't happen well, on my back. Part part of the reason that I said, and it was kind of interesting because usually we make our comments. There's usually a, a motion, a second, you make comments, and then you vote. I, I don't know. It kind of dawned on me. Oh, the I vote know, was yeah, taken. Oh, very, and then, oh, that was quite evident after the vote. Making the comment, which, well, which was good better. for the I mean, project. You don't want to necessarily she didn't want to change the project. She didn't exactly. want to sway anybody's vote. But just like, don't make the point. But I had the same <laughs> issue with the NS, which is, and again, that is more that is more on us, and shouldn't be the burden of the developer if we have uh, a crappy set of options for them to choose from to do what is otherwise a very logical project. But we've got to reconcile that, and and I don't know that maybe what should have happened is staff earlier on should have said. This is not true to the nature of NS any longer. Maybe the original plan was, the modified plan wasn't. At some point, maybe staff should have pushed back a little and said, neighborhood services is supposed to be these five things, and four of them don't really but line up But we already with- learned today in depth that literally it's okay as long as you say it's okay. So right. like it's everything so dumb, it doesn't a, work. Every everything we write has a clause that says, and it says in, unless you says it doesn't, unless you say it doesn't have yeah, to. Yeah, A, B, and C, unless you say D through Z. <laughs> so you know we've got we got some housekeeping to do in that regard. But I'm not willing to put that housekeeping at the foot of developers. I am say, if solve we do it, it early on, or wait till forever. We we I am if we do it early on. I think if we've got the ability to say to somebody out of the gate, this doesn't fit for these reasons then we've not done a disservice to them. If we'd have done that to the developer petitioner tonight, after months of him trying to meet the neighbors in the middle, try to make concessions to the neighbors, and come all the way through this process, spend time, money, and effort, if we'd have done that tonight, I think that would have been highly unfair. If we'd have done that six months ago, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have felt too bad about it. Uh, special, uh, special agent uh, Winston from the field, you have a comment you'd like to make? I, I definitely I agree with Councilman Larkin. Um, however... Uh, that would that would mean we would have to create a whole other process where we as council members are able to weigh in from the beginning of of these rezoning. Well, no, processes. I think staff should have done it. Well, but they're not going to ask these unless we create a policy that says we can't create a policy. We, we, we the the just because the just the unless clause in 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 our ordinance really relies on us to and we 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 would have to be there right from the beginning to say. Hey, we we understand where you're going with this. If it doesn't work with this set of criteria, we'd be willing to consider this. So go forward with it. But if it doesn't consider that, there's no unless, and that, that would be on us. And we would have to create a whole different process, which again, I'm not necessarily against. Um, but you know, we have to be willing to do that work and, and and lift that load. So, so those were two. We had the circa, which passed unanimously. Um, and we had Reese Road, which passed 10 to 1. Uh, in both cases, like I said, big contingents of, of people for, big contingents of people against, and um, very high neighborhood engagement on both. But I think we found middle ground on both. And so, again, no one's completely happy. I think we, we got probably 
close to the right point on those. And then we had uh, two of the ones we did get to tonight uh, of the half that we were able to get in were both in my district, one in Nodaw, one in Cherry. Uh, the Nodaw one similarly has a huge for contingent and a huge against contingent. Um, we'll dig into the details of that one. The Cherry one was interesting. The Cherry one doesn't seem to have, now it does have staff support. Uh, the Nodaw one does not. The Cherry one has staff support, but no one from the neighborhood has reached out to me in favor of this. Um, I think there are probably a decent amount of people who are neutral on it, but there's also a decent amount of people who are against it for issues around parking, around trash pickup, around uh, creation of a private drive instead of a street that doesn't have the abilities that a street would have in terms of um, space, parking, um, things like that. So that's going to be a tough one. I know a lot of council members were we're pushing back on that petitioner and have, have told him that there's there's definitely still a lot of work to be done if there's going to be any chance of this thing passing. That's a relatively small infill development on three-quarters of an acre for single-family houses. Um, so it was interesting that, that something that small turned into something that big, so to speak. NODA is, and I don't have the number in front of me, I don't know if you do, several acres um, – and it's an old theology school in the heart oh, yeah. of Noda. So it was an old church from the early 1960s. It had become a theology, uh, like Bible college, and with just less than 200 students, not a necessarily a high traffic use, but an institutional use that was non-conforming in a residential district. Um, someone has come in and said I, they want to take down the less significant portion of the church building and build 16 market rate single-family homes. On the back side of the property, they're going to build four attached townhomes that will be affordable for purchase and then use the more historical piece of the church in an adaptive reuse project. As a co-working space, though, they didn't explicitly, I guess, limit themselves to that, and that was one of the things we talked about tonight. What were your thoughts on that? Because there's a huge divide in the neighborhood, and I think there's some valid points uh, with the against crowd around traffic and, and pedestrian safety and things like that and what they worry about being a more intense use. But, you know, I, I personally ran on affordable housing and historic preservation. I mean, this is two of my big three. So this was the one that was on the Blue Line Extension station plan, right? A half a mile from the 36th half Street Station. Half a mile from. Here was the one. So I, I, here's what I remember from that one. Two things. One, I wanted to take away over the next month and sit and talk to staff and, and the petitioner and whoever else about what – what the nuances of this commercial element of this is. Because they kept saying commercial, but it felt like there might have been a little divide as it relates to the definition of that. But but more importantly, you know, the neighborhood got up and folks talked about how we had this award-winning area plan or whatever it was. And the thing that jumped out at me was, okay, if we're a half mile from the Blue Line extension, if we're a half mile away from this kind of mass transit option, and this is an award-winning plan, how is it that we were only at, like, recommended, like, six uh, um, units per acre type density? Like, how would we – and well, what award was it? Uh, Councilman Winston just asked. But two, more, and more importantly, if this is relatively new in, 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 as when it's been created and it is award-winning of sorts and it's that close to mass transit – 
how would how would is how was it that it came to be that they said for areas like this six units per acre is acceptable? I well, mean, because you would think it would be triple that number in density if you can be walkable to mass transit. Yeah, I mean, I in this case, the neighbors aren't really fighting the density so much as they're fighting the use of the church building. Right, but staff's only angle for the most part of why they're opposing it was because of density. Well, like and they, they, they were like, talking about commercial from the community's perspective and other things like that. Staff was saying we're, we're just opposed because it's more density than the area plan says. How is it possible that six units per acre is, is, is two is the density that we would recommend that close to mass transit? That doesn't make any sense to me. I agree. I mean, part of the language in, in those plans. And, and again, I'm just stating a, a fact. Part of the language in those plans is talking about pre- preserving single-family neighborhoods, particularly historic ones. And in this case, I think that applies. But, um, you know, I went back when my two, like, really heavy lift rezoning hearings were over. Uh, I went back to take a, a few minutes break after uh, what had been really a marathon already. And, and Ed McKinney, our assistant planning director, was in the back. And I said, well, look. It, it, the case that was made was as far as use on the ad- adaptive reuse of the church, it's a non-conforming use. It's zoned residential, but it's been a church for 50 plus years. And I said, could it be a church again tomorrow? And they said, well, you'd have to get a waiver on the use, but yeah, more or less it could be a church again tomorrow. I said, so what if Stephen Furtick comes in and says, I'm opening an elevation in Noda. I'm going to go in that church and I'm going to have a thousand people. I mean, you know, I don't think you could fit a thousand people in there, but, if, if a really successful megachurch decided that was going to be their NODOC campus, and that was a buy-right use, more or less, you could have something incredibly intense in the same use that it was before. So just because that church or that seminary school hadn't been particularly successful of recent year, in recent years, you know, it's, it's a really interesting argument. If, if it does end up being a co-working space and they do limit the use to something like that, uh, Braxton and I and others referenced the fact, and, and you spend time in co-working spaces, there are dozens of people at a co-working space at any given time, not hundreds of people. The seminary school was limited to 200 students. So the argument a staff was making was, in a non-conforming use, any other non-conforming use should be of equal or less intensity. And they're claiming this is a higher intensity. I'm not sure I agree with that. Yeah, agreed. So I, I don't know. but the, I will say the neighbors... Uh, were very clear to me in the in the meetings I had with them in their home month in one of their homes months ago and and walked the site with them. They said, "Look, we we love the idea of the affordable housing here. In theory, we're we're fine with saving the church, though some of them admitted, you know, they could take it or leave it. They just said we really are concerned. There's a Montessori school adjacent to this property. They said in the mornings and the afternoons, pickup time is a nightmare, particularly pickup more so than drop off, obviously because people are staging and waiting." They said it's just an absolute nightmare around here. And I think what we talked about with the tap meeting stuff around uh, traffic calming and, and better um, traffic management in the interior of our neighborhoods, we've got work to do there. We've got work to do on Crescent Avenue where we approved Circa. There's a lot of these rezonings where we end up blaming the developer or the project for a traffic situation or a parking situation that already exists. We need to deal with, acknowledge and deal with that parking or traffic situation independent of the rezoning we can't blame people who want to invest in those corridors for a problem that has existed far before they ever got there but that 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 means getting the will and the backbone to actually do something about it 
because the easy way out is to lay it at the feet of the developers and the petitioners. And in this case, I think, too, when we worry about pedestrian safety, as these projects go in and we we force, as part of the rezoning process, someone to do uh, uh, a buffer or um, a planning strip and a wider sidewalk and you know better connectivity for pedestrians to not have to walk on the street. I mean, that's part of the benefit of a lot of these rezonings is we improve our pedestrian infrastructure around them as we go. And so, you know, the hope is you create a better network for pedestrians so that there's not as much risk and they're not in the street when they're trying to go, you know, walk from home to the Montessori school or from home to the co-working space or whatever else. So I, I do think it as close as this is to, to Matheson, 36th Street, the plaza, the blue line, um, you know, it's to me not an inappropriate place uh, for co-working and Braxton mentioned he said look this used to be a neighborhood where a lot of people did live and work and play all in one area it has priced a lot of those folks out the ability for there to be affordable units for purchase and then also have co-working space where people can start up small businesses and kind of incubate those in their early stages I mean that's a lot of what Noda has historically been about so you know bringing some of that back to the neighborhood I think is is a benefit but I don't even the supporters acknowledge that there's traffic and parking issues over there. We need to deal with those and and be very um I think serious about acknowledging that they exist but not necessarily blaming the person who's not to blame. Zoning. What a fun day. Yeah, man. They always are. So, um do you have anything else you want to talk about or should we maybe call this quit since it's 11:30 in the p.m.? I think I'm looking through my calendar to see if there's any any big stuff coming up. Um, I heard Lumberjacks rename themselves. They did. I was I was worried that you'd be distraught. It doesn't roll. I off am the distraught. Like I'm done. To. This is the last time I'm ever going to mention that. Uh, but they have changed their name to Axe Club of America. The Say, same the same axe throwing fun that you've you've grown to love. But it's like but but with the the extra. Apparently, Extra angle of uh, hair club for men. Apparently, some bar in uh, I think they said Pittsburgh named themselves Lumberjacks, and Lumberjacks, the axe throwing place, wanted to expand, and they thought, well, let's not have a name where we're going to run up against uh, trademark issues. I will, I will say, they're opening their second location coming up soon. South Park, please. Winston Salem, my hometown. Shh, get out. So of here. they're kind of just following me around. Yeah, uh, I got pretty yeah. good by the end of the night. For, Wherever the Larkin has lived and it smells uh, of of thick patchouli, you're good to open an axe throwing bar. <laughs> Says the guy who's obsessed with the axe throwing we'll bar. We'll open one in South Park and maybe I can break some of those, you know, broad stereotypes. Well, you got your first brewery in South Park now with Legion opening their second location. Yes. So you've you've crossed the brewery threshold, which puts you only about ten years out from your but first like axe throwing facility. But it's like how South Park does breweries, like super like high end. Right, y'all's axe throwing facility would be like gold axes. Yes. With platinum handles. Oh, to- totally, man. And you throw you'd be them throwing at like it into like like other, expensive yeah, expensive uh, vases. <laughs> we, we we have to throw them at humans, unfortunately. Baccarat crystal, you'd be breaking <laughs> with the axes. <laughs> It's like it's like that old movie, like uh, the most dangerous game. What was that one? You get your axes. You're asking me. Yeah, but you have to like you 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 literally hunt humans with them. Cool. No. All, All right. right. Well, I think that just about wraps up episode 34. Uh, as always, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, like us, rate us, share us, do whatever other things you can do to us, and uh, we love you. We'll see you next week. Later. Quit it now.